QR code in the bulletin that you can take a picture of and fill out some information online, or um, you can grab a connection card out there um, in the foyer on your way out and let somebody out there know that this is your first time. If there's any way that we can be praying for you or can encourage you, please don't hesitate to let us know that. If you will take out your bulletin, we have a lot of announcements, and I'm going to go over um, most of those right now. So, I asked yesterday, the train passed through here on Sunday morning. So like, I don't really notice it that much anymore, but there, of course, I notice it. Um, so, take out your bulletins. Uh, you see name tag November. Those name tags are going to be available all month long. Right after the service in the education building, we have a missions interest meeting. It won't take long. But if you are interested in going on mission trips, you know we have a team going to Ecuador in January. There's other trips, other opportunities. I heard about one of those last week uh, when Brian shared. Just right after church, make your way to the education building, and we'll get started, and then we'll get you out pretty quickly. But if you are interested, even if you're a student, and you're interested in maybe going on a mission trip, please, please come check that out. Financing, we have a meeting at 4 o'clock. Deacon's meeting, we also meet tonight, but because of Mission Possible and a while a little bit longer, our meeting will actually start at 7.30. So if you're a deacon, 7.30, that meeting will start. This Saturday, we have a men's breakfast uh, at 8 a.m. I want to encourage you to come, be part of that. It's always a great time of food and fellowship, and so please come. At the end of the service, I'll make an announcement about our Thanksgiving meal next week. We've already mentioned the shoeboxes. There's some other things for you to see. And let me just personally, on behalf of the staff here on the north side, draw your attention to just a word of thanks um, for, from our hearts to you. You guys have overwhelmed us with gifts and love and boxes of goobers um, for me. And so thank you for your, your kindness and your generosity um, for that. All right, so the next few minutes, um, our service is going to look a little bit different. Miss Ann, our piano player, is under the weather this morning dealing with a sinus um, infection issue that she gets Curtis said every time this year. It's like clockwork it comes to them. Um, and so she's not here, so we're not going to be able to do our two hymns. Uh, but what we're going to do instead is we're going to have a time of prayer. Now we did this, well, we don't remember, in September for the first time. It went well, so we're going to do it again. So just a moment. I'm going to have you right where you are. There's some people gathered around you just to gather with four, five, six other people and just a time of prayer. Maybe one person in the group will pray. Maybe everybody will pray. You're only going to have a couple minutes, so it needs to be short prayers. But I'm going to guide you in how I would like for you to pray. So the main thing I want us to pray about this morning as a church is a prayer for revival and for a great awakening in America. So we know Tuesday, uh, this coming week right here, is Election Day. Right? We know the significance of that. We know the importance um, it is for us to vote, to use the, the gift that God has given us as citizens of this country. We have a responsibility to do that. And so I know that's there in our minds. But I'm not asking you to make that the main focal point of our prayer time this morning. I want you to be afraid of that. I want you to go and vote, please. But this morning, what I want us to focus on is just a revival in the church and a great awakening in our culture. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that starts here with us. It starts with me, and it starts with you. And so we're going to do that, and then I will pray for us, and then the choir is going to sing.
but I'm going to give you just a couple instructions um, before they see. So if you will, as quickly as possible, just do a holy huddle with some people that are right there. Spend some time in prayer, and then I will pray for us. And the goal is everybody just kind of praying out loud, and it's great.
probably pray that you will answer. What does we see? We will see this morning in our verses. Paul understood that though there are social injustices and there is evil and wickedness in the world, he understood that the quickest way to change the culture of the world was to see hearts and lives change. It is only through the gospel. We can pass all the laws that we want, and those laws sometimes are necessary and good. And the government is to encourage that which is right and to discourage evil and wrong. But God, laws are going to be broken. It's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the transformation of the hearts. Lord, through revival, through your causing your people to once again to see you and know you and to, to be revived, but also a great awakening of, of lost people coming to faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that is the desire in the heart of this, this church. God, that we want to see lost people saved. And we want to see, God, our baptismal pool filled. Because that is an outward testimony, Jesus, of your saving and changing lives. That we desire to see that. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back of us, so we can just praise and give glory to our God who saves. So, Father, hear our prayers. Bring about that revival. Bring about that great awakening for your glory and your honor. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, not only is Tuesday Election Day, but on Friday, we have Veterans Day. So our choir is going to sing a song. So if you have been part of Northside in the last year or longer, uh, we did this song last year around Veterans Day. So they're going to sing a uh, salute to the Armed Forces. So when it comes to the branch in which you serve, and they begin to sing that song, we're just going to ask you, if you serve in that particular branch, just to stand. And if possible, remain standing either during that song or just for a couple minutes because we want to honor you and thank you for your service uh, for this great country. So um, thank you, veterans, for all that you have done, all that you continue to do.
of the Children's Church. I'm going to take my name tag off because it's peeling off. Alright, our children are going to make their way out of the Children's Church at this time. Everyone else will take their Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. While we have some people shuffling the about, let me kind of explain to you what's going to happen over the next two weeks when it comes to Ephesians. So my plan, as I entered this week of study, was to take verses 5 through 9, which finishes out this section, um, all in one Sunday. And as I begin to study more and more, I felt the Lord kind of lay upon my heart to take these verses and divide over two weeks. So we're going to do that this morning. And then next week we'll come back and we'll finish up these verses because next week we got our Thanksgiving service and it's going to look different in here and I'll explain that at the end of the service because if you come in next week and you've not been here before, you'll be like, whoa, sanctuary looks a little bit different. Um, and so next week we got two baptisms, we have a testimony, um, we got lunch, it's going to be a fantastic day of worship. And so I'm just going to take these two sermons and in essence divide them instead of preaching one long sermon. Next week's sermon will be significantly shorter as we come back to this. And so here's what we need to do before we read these verses. You and I need to understand that when we look at these verses, we have to study it in two ways, two contexts. Number one, we have to understand the context, the culture, the day in which Paul is writing. Some pastors just want to skip over that. We can't skip over that. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to see the hope of the gospel because that's what Paul wanted these brothers and sisters to see is the hope of the gospel. And then what we'll do is next week, we'll then apply it to our context. And here's why I say that. You're going to notice right off the bat that when Paul is writing, he uses the word bondservants. That Greek word is gulos. It also is translated slaves. So Paul is speaking to slaves and masters because... In Rome, there were many slaves. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in our current context today, praise God, we, we don't have slavery here in America anymore. So when we talk about slaves and masters, that would not relate to us. And so what we can do, we can't skip over the context of Paul's name, but what we can do is we can take these principles and we can apply them to us today. And where they apply would be the employee-employer relationship. So next week we're going to look at work and how we can be, because next week is our Thanksgiving service, how you and I should be thankful for our jobs, for the gift of work that God has given to us, and so we can use that for His glory. So we have your copy of God's Word. Would you please take it? Ephesians chapter 6. Please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. So what the Word of the Lord says, beginning in verse 5 of Ephesians 6, bond servants or slaves... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of high service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. The gospel of Jesus Christ reaches into every area of our lives. 
The gospel is not just for Sunday mornings. The gospel is for Mondays through Saturdays as well. The gospel is for 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, 366 when it's leap year. It impacts every area of our life. Paul's dealt with this from your marriage relationship. The gospel speaks to that. To your parenting relationships, the parents and children, the gospel speaks to that. And we're also going to see that the gospel speaks to our workplace, more specifically in their context, it even speaks to the master-slave relationship. Now what you need to understand is the context of what Paul's saying here comes out of Paul's charge to us that we are to be spirit-filled. This is spirit-filled living. It is impossible to be the husband or wife you need to be, to be the father, mother, or child you need to be. It would have been impossible in this context for what Paul says apart from the working and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so there are two massive truths that I want you to see. These are going to be the only things we put on the screen. We're going to leave them up the whole time. We'll circle back to them because these are massive truths. The first one I'm getting from verse 6, and that is this. Our ultimate master is Jesus Christ. So we are to live to please him. So what Paul says in verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Ultimately, we are bond servants of Christ. He is our master. He is our Lord. And we, through our lives, are to please him. Then there's a second truth he gives us in verse 8, and that is this. We know that the Lord Jesus sees everything, and he will reward our faithfulness. And what he says in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. That whatever good you do, you will receive back from the Lord. Clarification. Paul is clear. We are not saved by works. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But once you are saved, and the Spirit of God indwells you, and you've been born again, you are changed, you now live a life of good works, of works that are pleasing to the Lord. So hear me, whatever you do, the Lord sees it, and if it's good and faithful, even if nobody else ever knows, he says here in verse 8, he will reward you for that good, that your reward is coming. It may not ever come now, but one day it will. So let's speak for a few minutes this morning about the context of Paul's death. And this is some heavy and weighty stuff. Look how he begins. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. He then goes on in verse 9 to address masters. And he says to these masters, stop your threatening. Don't treat your slaves in a threatening way. But rather know that your master and their master is the same. He's in heaven and he shows no partiality. So there is this issue right off the bat that in Paul's day, within the church that he's writing to, you have both slaves and masters. Now, slavery in Paul's day was extremely prevalent. Slavery in Rome was a foundational part of the Roman economy and society. William Barclay says, to understand the real meaning of what the text is saying, we must understand something of the nature of slavery in the time of the early church. In the Roman Empire, there were as many as 60 million slaves. Estimates that I read this week said slaves either made up a third of the Roman population or as much as half 
of the Roman population. Slavery began with Roman conquest. Slaves being originally made prisoners taken in war. And so as we think about slavery in Roman times, and as we think about slavery in the early days of America, one significant difference, though I would argue, and I think Scripture argues, and we'll get there in a minute, that both were ungodly, both are immoral, both were unjust. One significant difference is the slavery in America was primarily based upon race. It was primarily one race thinking they were superior to another race and therefore enslaved them. That was not slavery in the Roman days. I mean, if you were a prisoner of war taken into conquest, it didn't matter where you were from or what you looked like, they would just you become a slave. And so that is one significant difference between the slavery that we're familiar with and the Roman slavery. Um, started out small, Barclay says, but eventually became by the millions. He continues, and this is another difference between the slavery that we know here and slavery in Rome. It was not only menial tasks which were performed by slaves. So yes, you had domestic slaves that worked right at home, inside or whatever, but listen to this. You had doctors, teachers, musicians, actors, secretaries, stewards who were slaves. So a doctor, even though a slave could work his way to become a doctor, he was just branded as a slave. In fact, all the work of Rome was done by slaves. Roman attitude was that there was no point in being master of the world and doing one's own work. Let the slaves do that, they said. Let the citizens live in pampered idleness. The supply of slaves would never run out. And the Barclay goes on to say, it would be wrong to think that the lot of slaves was always wretched and unhappy, that they were always treated with cruelty. Many slaves were loved, trusted members of the family. But one great inescapable fact dominated the whole situation. In Roman law, a slave was not a person. He was simply a thing. He had absolutely no legal rights whatsoever. For that reason, there could be no such thing as justice where a slave was concerned. Slaves were never seen as people. They were simply property. Listen to the Roman statesman Cato. He said, old slaves should be thrown on a dump. When a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Take six slaves, throw them away, because they are nothing but inefficient tools. So what does Paul immediately do? You've got to stick with me here for a minute. He immediately needs to challenge that mentality that slaves were just things and property. Because let me remind you, he's writing a letter, inspired the Holy Spirit, he knows this letter will make its way to the church, that someone will get up and read this letter, and there will be people in the congregation who will hear. And who does he address first? Husbands and wives. We talked about how women were considered less than husbands, but what does Paul do? He says, no, husbands aren't superior to wives. You're created equal but different. So you hear him speak to husbands and wives, and he's changing the narrative. And then he speaks to children. We talked about how fathers had ultimate right over children. That children were not seen as equal or important. But what does Paul do? He recognizes there will be children in the midst, so he speaks to them personally. He says, children, you are people. You are valued. And if you come to faith in Christ, not only are you a son, but you're my brother or sister in Christ. And then, imagine if you will, they're sitting there. Paul says, bond servants, slaves. 
Because you see, here's the reality. Within this church, you had slaves and you had masters. You had slaves who were slaves, heard the gospel, came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they are still enslaved and there's no way out. They can't just walk away and say, hey, I'm a Christian now, I have slavery. Uh, no, you run away, you're killed, or you're branded a fugitive. You can't just say, I'm leaving slavery. So they're enslaved. But Paul also recognizes within this congregation, there would have been masters. Masters who maybe came to know Jesus, or masters who were believers, and they still had slaves. And so he speaks to them. And he's saying to these slaves, you're people. He's saying to masters, treat them like people. They're not property. They're not things. He sees them as persons, and in the gospel, they're on equal footing with their masters. They're not less than. So what does Paul do? Hear me. He is saying to slaves, and he is saying to them in essence, wherever you are, and for some of you, you're still in captivity, you're still in bondage. Wherever you are, you are to live like a Christian right there. Wherever you are. If you're a slave, you're to live like a Christian. Tony Meredith says, basically, Paul urged servants to transfer masters even if they could not transfer jobs. They have a new master. His name is Jesus. Now, I think I would fail as a pastor if I don't address the elephant in the room. Why in the world is Paul not condemned slavery? He had a shot right here. He had the moment. He had a pen. He had some, some sort of paper. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit inspiring him. He knew people were going to read it. He knew 60 million slaves. Why does he not condemn slavery? Let me say this quickly. He certainly does not condone it. Nowhere do I believe in the Bible is slavery condoned. And the slavery that developed in America certainly was not condoned. Because the Old Testament is clear. If you kidnap somebody and make them a slave, that's immoral. That's ungodly. That's what our slavery became in America. We kidnapped African Americans from Africa and we brought them here. That was ungodly. And no Christian ever should have been okay with that. Want to know my thoughts? That's my thoughts. The Bible doesn't condone slavery. But it doesn't condemn it. So the question then becomes why? First of all, we have to understand everything that Paul writes is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That God knows the big picture. And so let's just consider for a moment what happens if Paul condemns slavery right here. What happens? Well, slavery was universal in the first century. And the church was in its infancy stages. She was growing. And Rome already was blaming anything that bad had happened, blaming it on Christians, right? Nero, five, like they were just blaming the Christians. So what happened? If in the church's infancy stages, Paul here condemns slavery and tells Christians to begin to stand against slavery, let me tell you what happens. They're all killed in an instant. If it's that much a part of Roman world and you begin to stand against that, you're outnumbered. They'll just kill you. And there is no church to stand against this. Paul knows that. Paul also knows his mission. What is his mission? He's set apart for the gospel, and he is to proclaim Jesus. And so Paul knows the big picture. Paul understands the most basic problems in the world 
are never economic, they're never social, they're never political. They're always spiritual. It's always a spiritual issue. And so Paul understands the way to permanently correct social ills is to see the hearts of people change. He knows the long game. If Paul begins to speak of the evils of slavery, if Paul begins to say as he does in 1 Corinthians, if you can seek and earn your freedom, by all means do it. If he begins to change the way that the master sees the slave and the way the slave serves his master, if he begins to change those things, then Paul knows over time, slavery will cease. It's what people like William Wilberforce knew. That if the gospel could change enough hearts, enough people will see that this is evil and demonic and it must go away. Everything comes back to the gospel. I love what John Eadie writes. He says, Christianity did not rudely assault the forms of social life or seek to force even a justifiable revolution by external appliances. Such an enterprise would have quenched the infant religion in blood. But the gospel achieved a nobler feat. I love this. It did not stand by in disdain and refuse to speak to the slave till it gained his freedom. It didn't say, hey, slave, once you're free, then we'll give you the gospel. It didn't do that. It didn't wait till the shackles fell from their arms and they stood erect in his native independence. No. It went down into his degradation. It took him by the hand. It uttered words of kindness in his ear. And it gave him a liberty which fetters could not abridge and tyranny could not suppress. Are laws necessary? Absolutely. Did we, hopefully, all of you rejoice when Roe v. Wade was overturned? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean the battle is won. Laws can only do so much. The way a world and a culture is changed is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, there's a certain population of America who's done a much better job as Christians than attacking the hearts and the minds of young boys and girls. Because we have failed to really disciple our children and to share the whole gospel with them beyond Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We're just going to take that over and over. Yes and amen. But there's more. There's so much more in the gospel, in the word of God. And so we believe that. And so let's think. I want you to think for a moment of how amazing this news would have been to the slave sitting in this congregation. Because what does Paul say then? He says, number one, it's on the screen. Your ultimate master is Jesus Christ. So live to please him. Paul had amazing news for these men and women who were enslaved physically. And here's the news. You may be enslaved physically and there's nothing you can do about it. But you can't be delivered spiritually. And Jesus can do something about that. Like that's good news. That changes it. He says in 1 Corinthians 17, 21, Were you a bondservant when called? Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Paul is saying, listen, there's a new master, and his name is Jesus. 
And he changes and transforms everything and every relationship. And that's good news for you this morning. Because no one in this room is enslaved to physical chains of slavery. Now, slavery still exists. It exists in other parts of the world. And it exists in America in the form of sex trafficking. That is a type of enslavement. Where these young girls, even boys, are taken from their families and they're put into the sex trafficking world and they're gone forever and that's the world. That is a form of slavery. But in this room, we're not in physical chains. But some of you are in spiritual chains. You are enslaved this morning, not physically like they would have been, but you are like them and they were still enslaved, enslaved spiritually. You have an addiction of some sort. An addiction that nobody else, including your wife or kids, know nothing about. Right? Maybe you're dealing with depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts. Right? There is, you, are, you, you are enslaved to that very thing this morning. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ can rescue you from that. He can save you and change you. And though... Nothing may change immediately with their physical circumstances in Ephesus. Through Jesus Christ, spiritually, they could be changed. But then consider what else it says to these brothers and sisters. And it's verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Paul is speaking to slaves. In the Roman world, slaves are obviously not rewarded well. In fact, as I mentioned, most slaves are viewed as nothing more than tools. They might get food, they may get shelter, but many of them were not paid at all or paid well for their labors. And so what's Paul saying to them? You'll be rewarded one day. You may spend the rest of your life in physical chains, but a day's coming when you will stand before Jesus. And he will see, and he will reward you. So just continue to be faithful. And Paul knew eventually, as hearts and lives would change, more men and women would be delivered from their physical chains. Um, there's a book that, that I love and I highly recommend it. I've mentioned it to you before. So I just want to close with this illustration. I told you we're going to divide this up into two weeks. Um, it's a book called Steal Away Home. I don't, I don't love to read. I mean, I read. I'm not one of those like you who just loves it. And I don't read fast. I read very slow. But this book I read almost in a day. I was just fascinated by it. It's called Steal Away Home, Charles Spurgeon and Thomas Johnson, Unlikely Friends on the Passage to Freedom. So everybody in this room knows of C.H. Spurgeon, right? Knows of what he did and, and his desire to preach the gospel and see lives change. But he comes in contact with a man by the name of Thomas Johnson. Thomas Johnson spent first part of his years as a slave. I believe it was in Virginia. Thomas Johnson on one occasion is escaping, um, is contemplating escaping. He's been thinking about just leaving the plantation, running, trying to get away from the foreman. He knows if he gets caught, he can be beat to death, but he's just, he's had enough. So one night he decides to make a run for it. While leaving, he decides to stop by the quarters of an older gentleman who was a fellow slave who had befriended him. His name was Ezekiel. So in the end of the story, he's underneath the windowsill, contemplating running, and he begins to hear a very faint whisper of people singing. So he looks up into the window, and he sees that in the small quarter, 
men and women in a circle, holding hands, sitting there singing together. And Ezekiel sees him and motions for him to come in. So Thomas goes in and he sits down and Ezekiel begins to speak. And I just want, as a, as a first account of someone who was in slaves, but who understood the gospel can change everything. I want you to hear this because this, I cannot imagine. I can't help but think this is what it would have been like for those in Ephesus to hear the good news of the gospel. Ezekiel says, I got one question for each one of you tonight. Have you stolen away to Jesus? He paused, letting that question soak. Have you stolen away from this place? Your work, your troubles, have you gotten alone with the Lord? Because that might be the most important question you answer all day long, and that applies to you. Have, you. have you stolen away to Jesus? Have you spent time with the Master? And he says this. He says, because you see, the earthly Master, he owns our body. The Master, he owns our time. The Master, he owns everything about us. And he's looking right at Thomas. He says, but there is something you can't ever forget. There is one thing that man don't own. There is one thing that man can't ever own. He don't own your soul. Several of the slaves moan quietly in agreement, gently rocking back and forth to the slow, rhythmic cadence of the whispering preacher. There is another master, and this master, he's the master of this whole world. He's the one that your soul really belongs to. His name is Jesus. Ezekiel lifted his gaze from the boy, moved his eyes back and forth across the rest of his captivated audience. He says, some of you picked tobacco today. Some of you washed dishes and clothes today. A couple of you even took a whipping from the foreman today. And you might be thinking to yourself, I ain't never going to get out of this place. I ain't never going to get uh, to know what it's like to be a free man, a free woman. Some of you have been thinking, I ain't never going to know what it's like to do what I want to do. To be who I want to be. To go where I want to go. Ezekiel paused and Thomas could hear the word yes gently leave the tear-stained lips of a young mother staring at the face of her infant sleeping in her arms. A large man who sat next to Thomas nodded his head in sad agreement, deeply whispered, that's right. And the truth be told, the bad news is it may never change. You and me, we may very well live our whole entire lives in these chains, Ezekiel paused, filled his lungs and straightened his back. But here's the good news. Even you can be free. Really free. Right here, right now, no matter where you are. No matter what you do, no matter what kind of chains you carry with you. Jesus set slaves like us free. He may not take away the chains from your hands and your feet. He may never let you off this plantation, but Jesus will do something even better than that. He will take off the chains from your heart. Ezekiel looked at each face in the room, then offering an assuring smile, he stated, that he will do. As Thomas got older, Thomas said he couldn't remember most of what happened that night. He said he couldn't remember all the people in the room Maybe he couldn't even remember what their names were. Couldn't remember what it was like to go from those quarters, not to run to escape, but to walk back to his room, to get in his bed. He said, but here's what he remembered. For the first time in his life, he slept in peace. Because Jesus Christ had rescued him from the chains that had enslaved him spiritually. 
So listen, again I say, no one in this room are you enslaved physically the way Thomas or the way the slaves would have been to Paul's writing to. But there are men and women in this room who know what it's like to be enslaved to sin. You know what it's like to be in certain circumstances. And hear me, Jesus may not take those circumstances away from you. Those circumstances may not change overnight. But hear me, in the midst of that, in the midst of your lostness, in the midst of your depression, in the midst of those chains, those sins that enslave you, you right now, through Jesus Christ, can be set free. Amen. You can know freedom. And once you come to know Jesus, the good news of the gospel is, it speaks to every area of your life. And so if your marriage is struggling, the good news of the gospel is there's hope for your marriage. If a relationship with a child is struggling, whether they are still in the home or outside of the home, the good news of the gospel is there's hope. There can be reconciliation. There can be healing. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. The hope of the gospel is that there's hope for the world in which we live. No matter how the election goes Tuesday, don't find yourself in too much of a state of despair or too much celebration. Because here's what I've learned in 43 years. It doesn't really matter who's in the White House. Not a whole lot's going to change. They're going to keep arguing and fighting. You and I are in the middle going, can somebody work together for the people? That's what's going to happen. So no matter what happens, Jesus is still on the throne. He's your master. He's my master. And we're called to live for him no matter the cost. He's worth laying down our lives for. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father God, morning, I just offered this message up to you, the words that you would lay on my heart. Lord, this is so difficult to even study. I know just there are people who just really struggle with this, why the Bible isn't more outspoken on, on things like slavery. But God, we do believe and we have seen it throughout history. Men and women who have been transformed by the gospel who stand for the truth of Jesus Christ. And as hearts are changed, as lives are changed, Lord, some of these sins begin to lose their strongholds. Father, there's things right now in our country that we're dealing with. Lord, that we're just praying that people would see it differently, that their hearts would be transformed. But Jesus, until that happens, they're not going to see it differently. They can only see it through the world's eyes. They're blind to the truth of the gospel. They need the truth of the gospel. They need you, Jesus. And here we are as men and women of the gospel who have been transformed by the gospel, Lord, we have an opportunity to speak the good news into their very hearts and lives. And that's our prayer this morning, that if anybody here is enslaved and is in chains of spiritual bondage, that right now, Spirit of God, you would release them from those chains, that you would give them victory, that you would bring deliverance. If they're watching online, that you would bring that right now. But in order for that to happen, They've got to confess their sins. They must turn from them. And they must throw themselves before you and say, Jesus, you are the only one who can save me. I cannot save myself. I will never deliver myself from this bondage. Jesus, only you can. Jesus, you will. If we will but turn to you and call out to you. The Bible says we will be saved. So, Father, if there's anybody who was lost, save them. If anybody who was in addiction, deliver them. If anybody was struggling, oh God, would you bring help to them. Help through your word, help through the spirit, help through a friend who just wants to step into their life. 
provide a shoulder to cry on, to begin to walk with them through those difficult times. Lord, as we talked about this past Wednesday, our discipleship study. Men who will be there, women who will be there just to listen and to pray and to hold them up in the midst of a world that's crumbling around them. Father, there's hope. Remind your people that there is hope. If there was hope for the enslaved brother and sister in Paul's day, there is hope for us. But may we turn and look to you. And Father, as we sing this song, what I believe we're ready to sing, Lord, I need you. Oh God, our country needs you. But I need you too. We all need you. Remind us of that as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together. The altar is open. You may come and kneel and pray. I'm here at the front as well.
I'm like, hey, let me finish serving the hot dogs, and then we'll talk. And so then I start walking around looking for her, and she sees me, and she immediately comes up and says, hey, can we talk now? So she was eager. So Addie shared with me that she has made the decision. Was it last Sunday? Last Sunday after church and hearing about Farley. She had already been asking questions. They'd already seen the Lord working in her heart. Um, but she just said, hey, I want to follow Jesus. And so we had that conversation, asking those questions. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why do we get baptized? And are you a sinner? And, and they were sharing. She began to talk about that. It was very clear that the Spirit of God was working in her heart. She knew she was a sinner in need of a Savior. And so, so we're going to baptize next Sunday, Farley and Addie, on the same Sunday. So that's going to be very exciting. I know you just clap. If you'll just let Addie know how excited you are for her, for her. you clap, say amen. I'm nervous. I'm right there with you. I get it. All right, if you guys will just stay nearby, and after the service, before you leave, if you'll just come by and let Miss Addie know how excited um, you are for her. And so next Sunday is going to look a little bit different. We are going to do two baptisms. But we're going to kind of break those baptisms up. We're not going to do it one right after the other. We're going to break it up with a song. Um, it's going to just be a time of just celebration, thanksgiving, worship. And then we're going to take the verses that we just read. And we're going to see how Paul tells these slaves to live. And how we can apply that to what it looks like to work today. The employee-employee relationship. And we know that's a message that young people and people need to hear today. It's the lack of work ethic. But what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in the workforce, in the workplace, and to be able to live a certain way. So let me just go over some things really quick. I'll try to be fast. I got some bullet points here. But next Sunday is going to look different. We want you to come worship with us, but when you come in, you're not going to see the sanctuary like this. We don't have a fellowship hall big enough for all of us to eat in there. So there's going to be tables and chairs. That will be all in here. So there will be plenty of places to sit. Along the back row, we will leave those chairs. So if you'll do something for me, students, young families, if next week you won't sit back there, so some of our folks who maybe it's too hard to sit in the black chairs for an hour can sit along the wall. Um, it may be a blessing to them. You may help them out a little bit um, next week. So here's what we need. We're going to eat. It's going to be a great time of fellowship. We need 50 people to volunteer to bring dessert. So Miss Robin is over there. Did you say 15? Is that right? 15. 15. So she's going to be out before you. So if you like dessert, we need 15 of you to come see her. And it would be helpful if you already had in mind what you're going to bring. So you can say, hey, Robin, I'm to bring this. In addition, if you don't want to bring desserts, a lot of the other things, we got plenty. But everybody else who comes, if you will bring either a cold side or a hot side item, they need to let you know that as well, just so you know, no, don't, you don't got to learn nothing. But you need to bring a cold or a hot side item. Here, here's the key. You need to be able to keep it at the appropriate temperature. So if it's something warm, bring it in a crock pot. We've got plenty of ways that we can plug it in and keep that warm. Bring a spoon. Some of you know, if you've been in Northside for a while, you got to have a spoon. Bring a spoon to be able to serve your item with after the meal. We are not going to touch the chairs and stuff in here. We're going to do that next Sunday night. The youth are going to help us do that. But we do need some people. If you will stick around for a little bit to help us get the fellowship hall cleaned up. Uh, it'll go much quicker if we can have some people just in there wiping tables down, getting food put up and put away. Um, and one other thing, 
and we'll get you details. Um, but it made me thinking about this. At some point next Saturday, uh, David, if he can't be here, we'll have some other people. We've got to take the meet and get it all pulled apart. And last year, I think it took them like two hours to do that. Um, and so some people, maybe Saturday night, if you're free and you're willing, just let me know that I can get you the details once we know what time the meet will be here. You can come up Saturday and we'll have a good time doing that. I think I covered all the bullet points. It'll be a great time of worship and food, and it's free. So please stick around and come worship with us next week. All right. Bill Bailey is the deacon of the week. He's coming right there. So you will come close us in a word of prayer tonight. We've got Awana. Uh, you should have got an email if you're in Awana about the different times. Um, it's Mission Possible Night. It'll be a lot of fun. So I encourage you to come back to that. All right, Bill, stand. Bill, close Good work to us for the fellowship, for all the faces in here, for all the families, for Ag's decision, dear God, for a little Carly. All of us thank you to have something to celebrate that people want to come to you. Dear Father, give us a word we go out with. Dear Father, we may be encouraged to, uh, to tell them about how good you are to us. Dear Father, go there hurry. Thank you for the goodness of the Lord as we praise you in his name. Amen. 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 Amen.